Welcome to the Breaking into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. Sales is an important skill to learn for everyone, technical or non-technical. On this episode, Richard Purcell shares what he's learned as a sales director at Performance Horizon in Medallia. Also, Richard is half black, half white, so we're going to talk about race, the way he navigated unconscious bias from people in the tech community that were unaware of his background. If you like this episode and want to learn more about sales, make sure you check out episode two featuring Emily Rashapi. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so once again, we're recording um, our podcast tonight out of Hack Reactor. It's um, almost 9.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night. And um, believe it or not, there's still Hack Reactor students out there listening to a Bitcoin, uh, which is a virtual currency lecture. And uh, while they're talking about money, we're actually going to talk about sales and how to earn that money. So with that said, Arthur, can you please introduce our guest? Yeah, today we have uh, an amazing salesperson. Some of them, some people call him the Michael Jordan of sales. But uh, we have Richard Purcell on the show. He's a sales director at Performance Horizon. He's a natural risk taker, always looking for the next opportunity, green field, starting from the bottom. He was the first salesperson at Performance Horizon, one of the first salespeople at Medali, and a general hustler. He grew up in New York. Shout out to Mount Vernon. And like us, he grew up in the South, went to the same high school as Michael Jordan. And uh, yeah, he started really from the bottom. Uh, Richard, before we begin, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from, your family, and uh, kind of what, what you were up to when you were growing up. Sure. So I was born in Money Earning Mount Vernon in Westchester County, New York, hometown of uh, Doug Leone, the lead partner of Sequoia Capital, but as well as uh, Denzel Washington and Heavy D. So a great group of folks uh, <laughs> as uh, alumni. And I went to high school and college in North Carolina because my family decided to move down for a better way of life. My mom's a teacher. My dad owns his own music business where he rents, sells, and teaches instruments. After college, and even during college, I was doing a lot of startup activities where I was either like starting my own startups or helping others join startups, but none of that was really very successful. So then I decided, hey, I need to get like some kind of real job. <laughs> and so I decided that, wait a second, I should probably do something in sales because I didn't really have a lot of marketable skills. I wasn't that good at math. But one thing I, I knew I always had was an ability to charm people <laughs> to doing what I want, whether it be like a gift of gab, uh, smile, candor, body language. But then I also had something called moxie, which is also called like chutzpah. So, you know, those types of things I said, well, this is a normal transgression to go into sales. And so, I actually got a first job at a company called Fleetmatics, where I was literally doing 100 cold calls a day. That was like minimum, where I was just selling to truck drivers and plumbers and electricians in New York City, selling software to <laughs> people who aren't very familiar with technology. Wow. No, that, that, that's awesome. And so tell us a little bit more about like what skills you developed through 
that first opportunity? Sure. Well, my first manager there was the biggest pain in the butt ever. He really just got me into shape and, and whipped my butt into shape just in terms of being very disciplined and uh, just making sure I say the right things over the phone, making sure I'm very repetitive. Let me know about like tone. Let me know about how to overcome objections. And again, like when you're selling software to plumbers who haven't used, who are still having like an AOL.com email address, you know, these aren't the type of people that it's very easy to sell to. So getting me that discipline, I think was uh, like really important. Yeah. And, and you touched on something that I started learning early on related to tone. Can you touch on that a little bit? I don't think it's something that a lot of people pay attention to in the beginning when it comes to sales. Yeah. So I think one thing when you're selling over the phone is being able to sound like you're in some kind of authority. One thing that this boss first told me at Fleetmatics, uh, the one that was like a really stickler was, you are an executive. Like, think of yourself as an executive. Yes, like your title is you know, SDR, lead gen, whatever. But like when you get on the phone, when you write an email, you need to carry yourself like an executive or people will like walk all over you. So whether it be, you know, having to fake it, just do what you have to do to make sure that you're on the same level playing field as whoever you're trying to sell to. Don't ever be subservient. Yeah. And to clarify, that's that's related to business to business when you're selling Correct. to other executives. Correct. Yes. And then if you were talking to consumers, sometimes it's different where you might have to sound more softer or warm to relate to them on a personal level. Correct. Um, yes. So you, so you developed all these skills there. And you know what did you do next? So while I was in North Carolina, for a good three years, I was just not really happy with myself like personally and professionally. And I was trying to either move back to New York go to Austin, Texas or Silicon Valley because I wanted to go into tech, into tech sales, because I firmly believe that tech now in the stage that we are in in 2016 was and is like Wall Street in the 1980s, where it's just a complete boom town. It's completely uh, like a gold rush. And I, I think it's very appropriate that this gold rush is happening in San Francisco. And I also think that sales is also something I wanted to stay in it's because of being in sales, especially even if you're working for an employer, it's something that is most transferable to actually entrepreneurship because you really have to think creatively to generate business. And also the sky is the limit in terms of earnings. Like most companies have uncapped commissions. And so that's what's really wanted me to figure out a way to get out of North Carolina. And I remember when I first found this opportunity at a company called Medallia through a friend. I was really in love with the company Medallia. It was like everything that I was looking for because it was high growth. It was a Sequoia Capital darling. If you know anything about venture capital, Sequoia Capital is like the Harvard. I mean, they've invested in virtually every major startup that has done really, really well, you know, from the Apples to the Googles to the WhatsApps of the world. And now Medallia is their largest investment ever. So it gives you an idea of the caliber of the company this was when I first looked at it. And it was like the, the quintessential like Silicon Valley story. And so I remember when I first got the interview, it took me like three months to actually get the job because I had overcome different objections. And those objections were, one, they thought I was too ambitious. And two was that they thought that I was overqualified for the job. Got it. So let, let's take a moment to talk about that interview. So first of all, for the people that don't know, what is an objection? And then what do these interviews look like? So a lot of times the first interview is just 
kind of understanding you as a person and really what drives you. So a lot of times the person who is doing the hiring will want to know about the reasons behind certain things you did in life. Like, oh, you know, you went to so-and-so college. Why? Oh, you took so-and-so job. Why? Because they just try to understand your thought process. And so certain red flags to a hiring manager, especially in sales, would, would if you're saying things not aligned with how you want your long-term strategy to be certain in, for your career. So for instance, if you're saying things like, oh, eventually, you know, I want to like be in, in product or I want to... You have to just make sure you've you're sounding very consistent. And so like a, a second interview wouldn't be something maybe like a sales challenge where to be very prepared, you would want to look at exactly their value proposition and then pick out like if you're like if it's B2B, you would want to pick out uh, like their ideal client. And then you'd also want to think about what would your messaging be in an email? What would your messaging be over the phone? What would the objections you're overcoming? And then something else I learned just in terms of like how to present yourself in these interviews is always go for the close at the very end. And uh, one thing I made sure to do like in each of these interviews was say, is there any reason that you don't think I'm a fit for this role? And then when you're asking this question, you need to be prepared and have a rebuttal for all these objections that they may say. So they may say something like, oh, well, you don't really have the background we're looking for. Whatever it is, you just have to be prepared and ready for it and go for the close. And the objections that I was given was saying that I was too ambitious and saying also that I was overqualified. So the too ambitious thing, I basically told them that Silicon Valley is the place of people who are too ambitious. And I basically said that, you know, everyone you're hiring comes here who's ambitious. So I don't think that's a very valid objection. And the whole overqualified thing. I basically told them I was willing to pay my dues. You know, I was willing to take a pay cut and do whatever I could to just get that first job in Silicon Valley. And so they also believed me when I said that as well. And and I totally whole wholeheartedly believed like as soon as I just got the job, get my foot in the door, the sky's the limit. And another person who I look up to, I said early in the call was uh, Doug Leone, and something he said was that when he first came to America and Mount Vernon from Italy, that he knew that he had an opportunity, the company that uh, he was working for, because his first job was a janitor. It's like, oh, they gave me a job as a janitor. They messed up. They, they, they let me in the door. Now I'm going to do everything I can to move up. And that's kind of how I felt at Medallia. I was like, get me that job at Legion, and I'm going to do everything I can to move up. And, and I certainly did. Within the two years I was there, I definitely moved up the ranks and also did a lot of great things in terms of process improvement. A lot of people like think very highly of me even today. I mean, I helped start a diversity inclusion effort as, there as well that's still growing to this day. So just get your foot in the door. Yeah. It sounds like something you did right was you approached the interview process selling yourself. Correct. So you were the product. And specifically, if you're interviewing for a sales role, obviously, they're going to be looking at you and thinking if he was selling our product, would he be able to handle those objections? How is he with coming up with the, like rebuttals on the spot? And it sounds like you did your homework, you prepared, and you did well, so you did land the Correct. job. Uh, for our listeners who might be coming from untraditional backgrounds, they might have that sales gene, but they're coming from untraditional backgrounds. What advice would you give them in terms of uh, learning how to rebuttal these questions? Sure. So one thing I would say is everyone sells something. So you can be in product, you can be a receptionist, you could be anyone selling an idea, 
but you don't have that specific like salesperson title, but you're still selling yourself every day. So just think of it that way, how like everyone sells something. And so I think a lot of times people are afraid to call themselves salespeople because there's like negative connotation sometimes with that, but just be cognizant that everyone sells something. And then also you talked about like a sales gene. I firmly believe there is one because there are certain things you can teach people. Like you could teach people what to say over the phone. You could teach people how to make challenging questions. But I think what really helps people stand out is having that kind of chip on their shoulder. And also, like just having that intrinsic, like that deep down drive, that chutzpah, that chutzpah, so to speak. So, like for that, for the, that, like drive is hard for me to say is really to be taught. But I would say just making sure that you're in it for the right reasons. The salespeople I know who are in it just for the money, I don't really think. Th- I mean, a lot of them are very success- successful, but I feel like the best ones I know are people who not only want to do it for the money, but also really know how to connect with people. And so you could take that even outside of any role and really do really well. Yeah, sweet. And uh, something you mentioned is you kind of, you took a pay cut, right? Because you did sales before in the East Coast and you took this big gamble and took a demotion basically and joined Medallion as a lead gen, which is an entry role at most startups, right? So tell us a little bit more about that mindset and why did you decide to do that? Because like most people would probably <laughs> stay at their jobs because hey, you have a nice title. Yeah, so, the yeah. view from your office was pretty nice. Yeah, I mean it, it was okay, but uh, at the same time, I always say complacency kills. So uh, when I f- first got the job, I just remember I sold or trashed everything I owned, and then packed my little two door coupe with just my clothes, and then drove ten days across country, and uh, literally had to start all over again, where I knew like only one or two people. And I knew that you know being in lead gen was a good place to get my foot in the door because you know I was employee number three hundred, and by the time I left two years later, there was like a thousand employees. But because I got in early when I was only the second guy ever hired, you know there was so much room for me to grow and so much room for me to learn. Where like if I was working at a much larger company, there's going to be a lot much more like bureaucratic red tape to me getting where I want to be. You know now. You know, because it was a much smaller company and because I decided to pay my dues where, you know, anyone who I wanted to talk to in the company, I could either just tap them on the shoulder and, and learn so much. And, you know, because you're in Silicon Valley anyway, you're really never the smartest person in the room. So just through osmosis, <laughs> you're going to get smarter and you can't get that back where I was in North Carolina. No disrespect, but like there was just so much more opportunity out here. And I- I'll give you an example. Um, I had coffee with a guy last week. And he was kind of in a similar situation where he had come out here trying to get a job in sales, but he didn't really have any background. He had more like a client services background and he wanted to either go into product long term, but he thought sales was the right place for him. And so he was being frustrated because he would apply for jobs where he was in closing roles and he wasn't really getting anywhere with the job. And he asked me for my advice and I said, candidly, you need to take like an entry level position, which is normally called like a lead gen or BDR or SDR, where you are just banging the phones, making a hundred cold calls a day, sending out fifty emails, you know, paying your dues, getting your discipline, and like working for like another s- smaller startup, and then you know, learning a whole lot, and then having opportunity to really grow into the role and grow into the company. And you know, this person was like, "Oh, well, you know, I just came from." The East Coast, where I was managing a team of two or three people, 
at this XYZ company. And I was like, well, what's that company? <laughs> it was like, it's, it's not like any of these big time, like uh, high growth companies out here today. So you just need to like swallow your pride and uh, just pay your dues. Because like, if you decide to put in a year, two years at a really great company who has a lot of great growth, I think there's a much more great opportunity. I mean, if you even think about in terms of like return on investment. I mean, if you decide to invest in something at higher risk, you're going to get a much higher return. So, I mean, that's basically what Silicon Valley is all about. Yeah. And that says a lot about your, your drive and humility. And you just touched on the risk point. I um, mean, you've been talking a lot about Douglas Leone. Can you, can you tell us what uh, he said about risk that really resonated with you for this opportunity? Yeah. I mean, so while I was working at Medallia, I was trying to meet this guy a lot of different times through connections or through introductions because the more I read about him, the more he really aligned with my personality and just the things I want for myself in the long term. And he said something recently where he said, always take risks. If something is working like a dream, break it. Taking risks is the only way to keep on going. And so he always talked about like his lack of fear. And so he, he knew if he was afraid of something, it was right for him to do it. And so. I remember when I finally got the job at Medallia, like I was like really scared. Like I remember in my apartment, I was like, this is it. Like I, <laughs> I just sold everything I own. I'm leaving tomorrow. I was really like overcome like m- emotion because I was like, this is, this is really it. Like I'm really scared. But then, I mean, that quote even means more to me now because I'm like, that was like my make or break moment. And now I'm almost never going to look back on it. How did your parents feel about you moving cross country <laughs> at that time? It was funny. So when I actually was deciding to apply in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, I asked my mom, I was like, hey, mom, I just want to make sure it's cool with you if like I'm applying to these places in San Francisco. And maybe she thought like I wouldn't actually get the job because she's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You know, and then I was like, because I, I still I mean, at the time I was only seeing them maybe like three or four times a year, maybe twice. And so I was like, you know, we'll, you know, I'll still fly home for Christmas or, you know, for uh, the good times and like the really important holidays. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. And then like when I finally got the job, it, like it hit both of them. Like, <laughs> and I'm still trying to get them to come, you know, visit me. So mom, dad, if you're listening, like this, this is your your tap on the shoulder to come out and visit me after three years. But. Shout out to mom and dad. <laughs> Shout out to mom and Shout dad. Shout out to mom. <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking about um, kind of going back to North Carolina, before this, you mentioned that it took you about three years to kind of make this decision to sure. actually move out here. Can you just t- take us back to the feelings that you were having inside of you for those three years that kind of held you back? Or was it the lack of opportunities on the, on the West Coast? Was it because you were applying for jobs and you were getting rejected? Or was it because you were like, there was something holding you back from actually leaving North Carolina and moving out West? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what it was is those you know two or three years when I was really trying to leave, to me, I was saying I need to get a job first. I can't just unilaterally go mm-hmm. somewhere else and then hope for a job. I mean, <laughs> as much as I seem to be fearless, that's almost a little too much for me to handle. So I remember I was thinking, okay, I'll move either back to New York, I'll do Austin, Texas, or San Francisco, Silicon Valley, because those were like the big tech hubs. And so I remember I was applying to all those different places uh, within those three years, and nothing really panned out. And then I think partly partially because of my mutual connection with someone at Medallia that also finally came into fruition. Nice. Awesome. And I guess on that topic, did you know that person or the kind of how did you go about, I guess, getting those soft introductions to get interviews at these like high desired startups? So 
I always say that um, life is all about the people you meet, but more importantly, the relationships with the people that you meet. And so I think it was the fact that like one of my best friends to this day was someone who does really well in tech sales and then made that initial introduction to the hiring manager at Medallia. So, you know, you really have to like leverage all the different types of relationship and networks that you have. And I mean, even the job I have now, I got it because <laughs> a guy that I knew knew the hiring manager. And now that I think about it, I mean, Silicon Valley really is a place of like six degrees of separation almost, where you really need to find a way in here sometimes just through someone that you know. And what also sometimes that makes it harder, I mean, to, to break into it, to, to be completely honest. I mean, I think that's true anywhere. Yeah. Not just in Silicon Valley. Like, I've never got a job sure. through the website. Yeah, totally. Or through a recruiter. It was all through friends. Yep. And you touched on your new job. So first, why did you go to a new job? And then um, elaborate a little bit more about how you got that new job. I know you talked about your friend. Sure. So when I was at Medallia, I felt like there was a time where I wasn't going to reach my career goals because my career goals was like closing really big deals where all the time I was at Medallia, I was either in lead gen or responsible for closing what they call like SMB, small and medium businesses. And for whatever reason, I just couldn't make that jump where they would give me that opportunity to do so. And I was like, you know, in order for me to really get to where I want to be, I really need really need to leave Medallia. And for me, that was like a really big decision because this is the company that got me out there. This was the company that I've made so many friends. This was the company that I still to this day have great admiration for that I think long term they're going to do some really, really great things. I'm holding on to my equity <laughs> that that if that means anything. But uh, I realized that if I really want to make that jump, I need to move to a different company. And the company I'm at now called Performance Horizon, they're doing some also really great things just in the B2B enterprise space, specifically with uh, performance marketing software. and. The big draw for me was anytime a technology company can say Apple and Google are their clients, <laughs> that catches my interest because they're two companies that could very easily you know, build things themselves instead of buying it. So moving to Performance Horizon, it was everything that I was looking for in terms of like checkboxes. So it was passed at Series A. You know, I was looking for a company that was just building out its enterprise sales team. So that was a checkbox there. It only had like roughly 100 employees at the time. Another checkbox there. It was a promotion for me. It was more money, not only in salary, but also earnings potential. You know, all these different checkboxes. Also, uh, it was no more a commute to Palo Alto. And <laughs> if anyone in the Bay Area knows that uh, I'm commuting from San Francisco to Palo Alto every day, it's an hour and a half commute each way. So that's uh, without traffic. So sometimes, you know, my commute would be three hours or more every day taken from my time. So now my commute went from three hours a day to now like 20 minutes a day. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, That's amazing. Um, in the pre-chat, you talked a little bit about reaching out to someone who had slowly become your mentor just through listening to interviews and reading articles. But sure. you also did something that kind of like guided you in this new role. So as I was saying before, um, when I was looking at interviews of him and then reading things, you know, a lot of things he was saying was really aligning to my own thought process. So for instance, this is a guy who is probably worth $40 billion, easy. I mean, just off the WhatsApp deal, he probably made a few billion. And this is a guy in an interview one time says to this day, he still like looks back at people from high school 
and still has a chip on his shoulder for maybe things that happened back in high school. And, you know, I'm the type of person who sometimes thinks that way as well. So I really look up to him. And also he and I are from the same hometown as Mount Vernon as well. And so throughout this two years of medallia, I was really trying to meet this guy, but just didn't happen. And so finally, my last week of medallia, I was like, I'm just going to send this guy a cold email. Because like, what's the worst that's going to happen to me? Because <laughs> before I thought if I reach out to this guy and I still worked in medallia, like it would get me in trouble. So like, oh, I'm already leaving. So what do I have to lose? So I basically broke down the email into three reasons why he needed to meet me. And I said, the first one was he and I are from the same hometown. Second one was, I said, you know, you, you talk about always taking risks and I'm leaving Sequoia Capital's biggest investment ever. That's a pretty big risk. And the third one I said is one of his interviews, he said in this stage of his life, because he's a little bit older now, that um, he's all about mentoring younger people. So I, I basically bullet pointed those three things and maybe expounded a little bit on each one of those. And within 15 minutes of me sending the email, he responds saying, hey, I'd like to meet you. And so my first week at my new job was having a meeting with Doug Leone. And the key takeaways from that was I originally reached out to him to asking for um, him to make an introduction to a mentor for me because I feel like that's missing in my professional life right now. And he basically told me that before he will do that, one, I need to make sure that this risk is paying off. And so for this risk to pay off, I need to make sure I do really well in my current role. And two, make sure that this company does really well. So I've been in this company now uh, eight months, and both two of those things are coming into fruition. So I'm just waiting a year from now before I reach out again, just, you know, recapping our conversation when I talked to him at the last time and saying, you know, this is what you told me. This is what I've accomplished. Like, what are the next steps? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're appearing on podcasts. Uh, so you're <laughs> definitely doing something right. And yeah. um, speaking of cold emails, Ruben wrote a blog post about how to, it's about a cold email that I guess I sent out when I was looking for a job, but he does a really good job describing that in theory, a lot of people see a cold email as something that's cold by nature, but your job is to make that cold email warm. Mm-hmm. And oh, it don't sounds, get me started. <laughs> and it sounds like you did exactly that because yeah. a cold email is something that maybe you just copy and paste yeah. and send out yeah. to 100 people, but yeah. that wasn't the email that you sent yeah. out. I don't think you realize how much pride I take into my emails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... It- when I hear some Legion people now say all they do is send out emails, they send like 200 emails a day, don't even make any phone calls. I think that's just a really a lost opportunity. You know, because I'm selling into B2B, I'd have maybe an advantage of being able to be, be more articulate and customize my emails. But I like to think of myself almost like as the Ernest Hemingway of emails where you are making it short and you're really telling a story. So some people think in one my one email, I need to say everything I need to say and make this email like two pages long. And mm-hmm. you, you know, you're never going to read it, first of all. And then you also have to treat it like you do like a narrative almost. And so you want to start your first email maybe being more generic and then two days later being more specific and more specific. And then you're like each time... So follow-ups. Yeah, follow-ups. Like each time you're following up though, it's not just this very generic, mm-hmm. oh, simply following up. Hey, did you see my last email? It's like each time you're adding value, but each time like you're tying something from like a business objective that they're trying to accomplish to your solution. So I'm probably the only people in the world that actually likes reading annual reports mm-hmm. <laughs> because I just love like using people's own language in their annual reports against them. So if, <laughs> if someone wants to give me objections or why they can't do certain things, 
And I'm like, well, your annual report says X, Y, Z, <laughs> and our solution helps you accomplish X, Y, Z, and we're doing it for X, Y, Z companies, and they're seeing X, Y, Z returns. I mean, if your boss knew that you were turning down this type of opportunity, what do you think he would say? <laughs> <laughs> and when you're speaking to corporations who have shareholders... Oh, oh, speaking of that, I've used that before. I have literally bought a share in a company I've been selling to. I'm like, as a shareholder, you know, your fiduciary <laughs> responsibility is to maximize my returns. And so um, don't make me get disgruntled in the next proxy vote. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's love amazing. It. That's so amazing. thinking outside the box. Yeah. And it, and it sounds like you've been doing really well in this new role. And you've built a lot of these programs outside of the actual sales role that you mentioned, uh, these diversity programs, inclusion programs. Can you talk a little bit more about why you did that and how you've been able to turn perceived disadvantages into advantages? Yeah. So. I think one reason I also chose sales is because it has the lowest barrier to entry, which is also a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's a good thing because it really helps a lot of people get into it and have opportunities for economic mobility. But it's also a bad thing because, in my opinion, the majority of salespeople are really bad. Like uh, I've had discussions or arguments or challenging people saying, I I would wholeheartedly believe that maybe 70% of salespeople are, are, are not so good like below average. And I say like in other industries, that's not the same. Like you can't say, look at doctors or construction workers or whatnot and say 70% of them are below average, but I'll digress. So I I think one reason why that sales is so special for people of color, LGBT women is because those are the people that have had to go through their whole lives having somewhat of a chip on their shoulder. And so the best salespeople I've ever known have not been people who come from very high economic backgrounds, people who've like gone to Ivy League schools, it's people who are the opposite of that. And, you know, people like the folks I just described have gone their whole life overcoming objections, uh, having to prove themselves. And so I've tried everything I can to try to get more folks from non-traditional backgrounds into sales. And, you know, even for someone like me, who I think has a lot of networks and is connected, it's still sometimes of a challenge because I feel like as a community, we need to start younger and instilling people like one, tech is an option, two, sales is an option. So maybe even starting like college or, or sooner. And it goes yeah. back to your point of where people don't think of themselves as salespeople and they're doing these types of things all the time. Like, would you like to go to dinner with me? Like you have to convince someone <laughs> oh, yeah. <Don't>, yeah. <laughs> to go um, to dinner with me, you, right? To that point, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but dating and sales is so many parallels in that. Yeah, we can have a talk about that <laughs> offline because yeah. I have a lot of opinions about that as Maybe well. we should have you back for that discussion. <laughs> yeah. Deleted um, scenes. And, and to your point, it is a skill too. Sure. And so like you could have a lot of raw talent, but to be able to finesse it into something that's repeatable and teachable and to be able to lead with it is, is very important. So yeah. So what's next for you? So one thing I was really proud of at Medallia that I keyed on it a little bit is helping to co-found uh, Medallia Medley, which I coined that term at Medallia, which was basically a cross-functional diversity and inclusion group and initiative that we ended up getting executive sponsorship from. So to this day, I mean, even when I'm not Medallia, that continues to grow and it just really, you know, makes me feel good about it. So thinking of ways that I can continue to bring people into tech who have the talent, but not so much the opportunity. I took a leadership class when I was back in Charlotte called, called Leadership Charlotte. And the facilitator said a quote that I think about to this day, where she said, 
talent is universal, opportunity is not. So I think about that all the time where I've had certain privileges, maybe because the way people perceive me to have certain opportunities to showcase my talent. So like my long-term goal is to eventually be an investor or someone with influence so I could bring more people uh, with talent who haven't had a lot of opportunity to either Silicon Valley or just somewhere else for them to really showcase that talent and have the kind of opportunity they need to get where they want to be. That's great, man. And I think the, kind of the amount of kind of the amount you're able to give back and starting these um, kind of organizations from grassroots that promote diversity. And you told us in the pre-interview that you also have a very interesting story of kind of some of the struggles and challenges you overcame kind of being from different ethnic backgrounds. Can you sure. tell us a little bit more about that and how that led you to start these uh, programs? Sure. So both my parents come from multi-ethnic backgrounds. I mean, you know, my mom has some black Dominican and French, and my dad had some Moroccan. I recently even did an Ancestry.com to try to get to the bottom of things and actually just made more questions for me, but <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But when people look at me, I am fairly ambiguous. And so I firmly believe that race is based on your experience. And so based on certain people's experiences, they say I'm certain, they think I'm something different. So, you know, I, someone may think I'm Italian, that I'm African American, that I'm biracial. But it really is just based on their own experiences. I mean, if they grew up in the South, they probably think I'm black or biracial. You know, when I was in Italy, they thought I was Moroccan. But either way, like, I feel like because I've been a chameleon and be able to assimilate, I've been able to get myself into positive situations that if I was darker or like as being perceived as someone different, that I wouldn't be afforded to. So, you know, Sales is very much like a good old boys network, and I feel like I'm a part of this network because of my ability to assimilate. And, you know, I can now be a part of certain privileged groups and see or hear things that most people don't get to be in. And so now that you're in this position, it sounds like what you are doing is focusing on breaking stereotypes or preparing people to break stereotypes. Is that accurate? Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's just really all about challenging people's beliefs. And so I would say even if I didn't have this background, I think it's very important for people who are privileged to challenge other people who are privileged to really reconsider their biases and the way they think. Because I think sometimes it's easier to change the system from the inside than from the outside. I mean, some people may, may disagree with me, but that's just a good way to think of things as well. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And we're really excited to see about what's going to happen in the future. The next step, team was going to uh, yeah. walk you into so the, the lightning round. The next step uh, <laughs> in our podcast is the lightning round. Oh, boy. That's where we're going to ask you several questions. We're actually looking to get a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies that you've used that our listeners can apply and can apply and get the same job, a similar job or break into tech the same way you did. Try to give us short answers, but filled sure. with those uh, nuggets of like resources and strategies that you've used. Sure. Uh, with that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question takes you back to the basics. So <laughs> imagine um, you just moved to a brand new city. Sure. You don't know anyone. You have a limited amount of resources. So let's say you only have $100 and you're trying to break into tech. Sure. And you stress, you're starting from scratch, basically. What would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get back on the feet? So I would do two things. One, I would try to go to every event that I could whether it be quote unquote networking or otherwise, just figure out a way to make as many connections as you can. Um, I actually hate the word networking, (laughs) 
because I feel like it's very transactional. I, I believe in literally like connecting with people. That's why I try to never bring my business card at anywhere I go. I mean, if I can actually like exchange phone numbers, even like exchange Facebook with someone as opposed to like LinkedIn or a business card, that's a much better accomplishment. And then, maybe Snapchat. Or- yeah, I mean, selfies, you know, let's do it. <laughs> and then another thing I would do is, um, I know this is not available in every city, but I would take as many Lyft lines as possible and just talk to everybody that you meet in that car, uh, the driver and uh, the passengers, because I have made so many connections and learned so many things by taking lift lines, even to this day where, I mean, I, we don't have time, but I could tell you stories of like both personal and professional accomplishments, you know, from lift line. And your dates? <laughs> uh, anyone who reads my blog, I have a story about a lift line personal connection. Well, we'll include that in the show notes <laughs> and shout out to Lyft. Next question. So let's take it back to the moment where you were really scared and you were like, this is it. How did you overcome that fear? Was there a piece of music, a movie that you watched, something that helped you break through that moment? Good question. So as much as I uh, don't care too much for Kanye West personally, his music really pumps me up. So there are two songs in particular of his that really pump me up. One is Power. The other one is, um, I think it's titled like Wait Till I Get My Money Right. So those two songs, like no matter what mood I'm in, it just like really gets me going. And I think something else that really overcomes fear. Um, I mean, I started doing a really San Francisco thing and doing yoga. So that that helps as well. Just like alleviate stress. Yeah. Nice. So um, the next question is about giving advice. So having uh, left the East Coast, moved out to the West Coast, made this journey, literally started from the bottom. Once you moved out here, what is the one piece of advice that you have for one of our listeners who might be living on the East Coast, who might be living in North Carolina, who might think that tech is eating up the world, but they're not in tech yet. What is that one piece of advice that you have for them? So you're asking what's my advice for someone trying to get into tech who like may be living in North Carolina who can't figure out how to do so. Exactly. Hmm. I would say before, just leverage your current relationships and networks as much as you can. I think a lot of people also don't realize that how much even their personal relationships can have means of like accelerating your professional career. And something I also think of is um, just try to like get your name out there in some way. Like I feel like now it's pretty democratized in terms of like media. So before it, it was very hard to get your name out there, but now whether it be through medium.com, whether it be like creating your own blog, you know, there's so many things you could do to like build up your personal brand, no matter where you are in the world. Because I, I firmly believe that the world is flat now. So just think of ways that you can like, you know, be a big fish in a small pond. Like I would consider I was back in North Carolina and to kind of build your professional brand there and make a name for yourself. And then, you know, use what you created to then expand your network to wherever you want to go. Yeah. And as a follow up to that, so you mentioned that something that kept you in North Carolina was actually, um, kind of being afraid to quit your job and move to the new city without having the next thing lined up. Now that you've been through this experience, would you have um, stayed in North Carolina for three years or would you have like taken the risk and moved to New York or San Francisco and just made the big push for it without having the next thing lined up? That's also a really great question. And I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. So, I mean, if I would have tried to move out right then and there when I made that first to move from North Carolina, I mean, the only thing I could see as a completely positive thing would be that I would be probably paying less rent, <laughs> you know, if I would move out to San Francisco three years before. But, you know, Medallia probably wouldn't have been a bit in that position to hire me because they were still a really small startup. 
you know, also when I when I was driving out here, I drove out. I drove through Austin, Texas, right when they were having South by Southwest, and I never even heard of South by Southwest, and that was also something very serendipitous. So even if I would have planned my trip a week or two weeks earlier, I wouldn't have that opportunity there. So I firmly believe everything happens for a reason. So, I mean, even though living in North Carolina those extra few years was somewhat painful when I look back at it, pain is weakness leaving the body, right? That's what we like to say for sure. <laughs> um, and um, before the, this process, what is one online resource or book or books that you feel would be most relevant for this uh, young woman or man in North Carolina or anywhere else in the world? One book that continues to be recommended by sales leaders that I really respect is Challenger Sale. It breaks the different personalities in sales and talks about the actual people that they did research on who sold the most or quote unquote challengers. It wasn't the people who were considered like the relationship builders or the people that were considered like the lone wolves. I can't remember the, the other two off the top of my head, but is the people who were content or who were consciously and continuously challenging their prospects to think differently. And those are the ones that always sold the most. So that's the book that off the top of my head. Another book that I've probably read about two times, I don't know if so much has to do with sales, but uh, it's 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, another really good one. So those are two off the top of my head that do that. Uh, oh, okay. A third one I think is good just to better understand like the tech landscape and just how different entrepreneurs and innovators think is Innovator's Dilemma. That's another good one as well. Sweet. And you shared so many nuggets on the show. What is uh, one way that our, or what are some ways that our listeners could get in touch with you? Are you on social media, email, anything else? I would say probably through LinkedIn to get in touch with me. Actually, I'm going to let people figure it out how to get in touch with me because if you could like figure out a way to get in touch with me and uh, you know get my attention and be politely persistent, I will give anyone the time of the day. I actually love to be sold to. So I pick up every call and I will listen to hear what you have to say. I'll, I'll listen to your pitch and then I'll give you feedback on it. But you know, I love being sold to. Yeah. And for our listeners, if you're a young girl or a guy sitting in North Carolina, you might not know anyone on the West Coast or anyone who works in sales, but you just spend the last 30 minutes <laughs> listening to Richard's interview and he shared a lot of stories about himself. So take the time, figure out his email address and email him. All right, man. Well, thanks for spending time with us and we look forward to having you back yeah, again. Thanks, in the future. Man. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.